Good morning, everyone. Today's first reading is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 9. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> Thanks. Let's uh, begin with a prayer together. Lord, we thank you that you promised that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we thank you, Lord, that life is in you. And we thank you that you're here amongst us today 
by your Spirit. And we pray each one, each one of us might be touched by your Spirit in this place, that we will listen to your word and respond in love and obedience. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, many years ago, I was a, a young curate like Amy is, uh, and I was in a church in, in South London, uh, and uh, I had lots of different responsibilities, one of which, which uh, the most, most difficult of all I found, was marriage preparation. I had to get alongside couples who were going to get married in St. Tim, or, not, or St. Tim's, what was it? St. James at West Streatham, that's right. And uh, I, was, I was going to help them and prepare them and talk about relationships and about all kinds of stuff. And I, I was single. I was a bachelor. I, had, I, I, had, I wasn't in a relationship at all. What the heck did I know about marriage? And I was supposed to pontificate like some kind of expert. Uh, and I used to find that quite nerve-wracking. Um, I'm sure I talked a little tosh, actually. But anyway, there you are. I mean, I'm 37 years married now, and I'm sure I probably have a lot to learn about marriage anyway. But anyway, there you go. Uh, but I remember a joke that was going around at the time that I kind of like latched onto, kind of quite my memory. And the, the joke goes something along the lines of this. There are only, it's a joke, it's a comment really. There are only two categories of people in the world around us. The first category is those who believe that life would be wonderful and all their problems solved if only they were married. And the other category is those who believe Life would be wonderful and all their problems solved if only they were no longer married. So, obviously, you know, it's a bit cynical. Uh, but, uh, of course, there's, a, there's an element of truth in it because, I suppose, because all of us, to some degree, do have false expectations or unrealistic expectations about what love and marriage, about relationships generally. And it's quite deeply embedded in our culture, isn't it? I mean... There is a kind of, kind of unwritten sort of program here that we're all looking for the one. The one person who will uh, be able to, will be able to ride off into the, into the sunset, you know, and they will be there. We will, we will fall mad in love with them. They will fall mad in love with us. And we will always feel loving, wonderful feelings all the way through. And uh, we'll live, ha live happily ever after. And, and therefore, reality is so many people go into cohabiting together or getting married with completely unrealistic understandings of the nature of true love. And they, and they of course, discover that we're all far from perfect. We all have, are sinful. We all have our flaws. And there are many challenges in those relationships. So what tends to happen is people say they quickly fall out of love. You fall out of love. I'm no longer in love with this person anymore. And they decide they've made a mistake and they look around for the next perfect partner. In fact, do you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, in part of our culture is people have starter marriages. They have starter marriages. That's the one you go to and you learn all your mistakes and then you move on to the, the right one. So a starter marriage, you know, that's amazing, isn't it, really? But that's part of our the culture and it is really, we're all drawn into it. And the real tragedy, actually, is that, that if people don't understand that problems and challenges and difficulties and imperfections in our relationship become opportunities for all of us to learn the true nature and meaning of love 
and actually what relationships are all about. And then the, the discovering that put, putting the other person first before ourselves, learning to sacrifice ourselves to some degree, we find new joy and fulfillment in these acts of self-giving love. And we find the joy, the far, far deeper joy of a real deep, long-lasting relationship. And what is needed is a complete mindset change in order for us to, to, to rethink the nature of true love so that a person can enter into a deep uh, relationship and find the joy and fulfilment that they long for. Now, the reason I'm, it's a long, I'm not do, doing a talk about marriage, actually, you'll be pleased to know. But why, why, therefore, is this long, long introduction? Because I think that we have a similar problem in our expectation of what it means to be a Christian and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what we're hoping for in that relationship. And we also, I think we also have a problem there too. Sometimes, well, we have great hopes and expectations of what it means to be a Christian, to become a Christian or grow as a Christian. And, and we can start off sometimes quite enthusiastically with great hopes and uh, wholehearted commitment and wanting to go forward and step out in faith with God. But sometimes after an enthusiastic start, things don't turn out quite the way we expect. Certainly, when Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, we find that's not really true, it's not becoming true for me. As we progress on in our Christian faith, we've, we're confused, we find all kinds of difficulties. It's not, it's what we almost feel like saying, this is not what I signed up for. And what, what's going on here? What, what, you know, we, some churches are really standing in the air worshipping Lord and say, fantastic, on a wonderful high. I, 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 I don't find that. I'm finding this really hard work. And, and what tends to happen then is we, we, we no longer follow the Lord Jesus quite so enthusiastically. We, we, we aren't quite so willing to obey the prompting of the Spirit. We begin to perhaps withdraw, hold back, follow him at, but at a distance. Not the same way as it used to be. And I wonder whether all of us perhaps go through phases like that. Maybe you're going through a phase like that at the moment and wondering what's happened to your Christian faith, what's happened. Maybe there was a time in which you were really enthusiastic and it's all great, but now perhaps you're holding back and wondering what's gone wrong. And, and we see, I believe, these, these, uh, these, um, this, this theme in, in the readings that we have today. So if I can have that uh, first slide up now. I hope the tech works. I should see it on my screen there. And you should see it. Ah, oh, but I haven't got it on here. But never mind, I'll have to turn around and look. Is it supposed to, is it supposed to be on the live stream, Pete? Yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, anyway, there it is from Isaiah. It's a, it's a lovely passage. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who will have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, on your labour, on what does not satisfy? Listen to, listen to me and eat what is good, and you'll delight in the riches fair. And, and therefore, look at that. It's fantastic. It's really, really encouraging, isn't it? Who would not believe, looking at that, that somehow here is 
God inviting us into a relationship with him. And somehow, if we do that, we will have an amazing blessing. That, that is the case. And so we, I think all of us naturally, and this is written obviously to the Israelites, but we, reading it now, in centuries, uh, millennia later, can, can have that hope. And, but actually, little later on, we're, we're actually ex- it, we're, we're given a hint that isn't going to be quite how we imagine. Because if the next slide says, and I'll do it, should hopefully, ah, Mike, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So therefore, it's kind of like a, it's a no-brainer, really, that somehow that we will, whatever happens, it isn't <laughs> kind of going to be the same the way that we're expecting. So we're, we're, we should be open to a few surprises, really, because there is, is God saying that he's not like us, he thinks differently, and therefore somehow our mindset has got to change so that we are able to embrace his vision of what a good life is supposed to be like, not what we expect them to be. And we can also see that in the 1 Corinthians 10 reading. So here, at the beginning of the reading, we see, uh, and, and what let's, what's, what's we see, what, let's just, before we go into it, uh, St. Paul is is, is trying to write words of encouragement to uh, the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth at that time was a really powerful, a dynamic church in a, in a very kind of godless kind of multinational, multicultural society. And, uh, and it was a very powerful church and strong and grown with enthusiasm and commitment. But that enthusiasm and commitment to follow Jesus and go his way was beginning to falter and Paul writes to them encouraging them to look back to the history of Israel back in the day to see where they went wrong to see look at their mistakes in the hope that they will that the Corinthian church will choose a different path path and not repeat the mistakes that Israelites made in the in the wilderness and they will instead choose to follow the path of Jesus and put their faith and trust in God. So what do we see in this reading? And uh, what we see is uh, it's talking about the journey in the wilderness of the people of Israel from uh, when they were in slavery in Egypt. And if you remember, 40 years in the wilderness and they arrived in the promised land okay so why were why were they in this desert why were they in the well actually it's only about like 11 days journey if you walk if you walk straight from egypt to canaan it's about 11 days walk it's about 200 kilometers so it's not 40 years it's 11 days so what what were they in the desert for such a long time there well initially it was because God was using the wilderness as a kind of training ground to help them to get ready, prepare, to change their mindset, to enable them then to enter the promised land. And in order that, they had to learn to believe more in God and to grow to trust in him. And then, therefore, 
to become able to overcome all the obstacles and difficulties on their way. Now, if you step back a bit further to actually when they were in Egypt and, and slaves to Pharaoh, God, through Moses, promised them that they would come out and they would go to the promised land, which is going back to the early part of Genesis. And Moses, God speaks through Moses and talks about a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey, which, which would have been really attractive. I presume there weren't any vegans, actually, in Israel at the time, because they probably then wouldn't actually have found that quite so attractive. But most people would have found the idea of milk and honey really, really amazing. If you're a slave and in, you're having to be in a very hot climate, the idea of, of this spacious, lush, pastoral land flowing with milk and honey. Wow, what's not to like about that? Okay. So, and the idea of the land flowing with milk and honey is actually repeated 20 times. 20 times. That's a lot. And, and therefore, it is uh, really trying to express how lush and wonderful and abundant is the life uh, that uh, God is calling them into. Um, and actually... As the picture throughout so the, the early books of the Bible uh, sort of spun out, uh, it got better and better because God was going to rescue his people out of slavery, bring them into this wonderful, fertile and abundant land of Canaan. There they would be fruitful and multiply. They would become a great nation and he would bless them greatly. He would make all their crops and livestock fertile and abundant. And he would protect them against all the odds against uh, from all, the, all any hostile nation who wants to invade. He would just basically keep them at the door and overcome them by his power. And more than that, they would all live in their communities and in their families, in their groups, with harmony and order, uh, with peace. And uh, as, they, as they learn to live by the uh, uh, principles and commandments and teaching revealed to them through Moses, that everybody would be looked after in this community. The widow and the orphan and the foreigner would be cared for. To name but a few of the abundant blessings that God was going to lavish upon his people in this land of Canaan, as they experienced his, the fullness of his blessing, the promised land full of flowing, with, uh, flowing with, with uh, milk and, and honey. And, uh, but even more wonderful than this, as it, the picture unfolds, God's plan is to bless the whole world, the whole world, through the people of Israel. How? Because his people would be so evidently blessed that people would say, wow, I, I want to be under Jehovah. He is amazing. I, I, I want some of this. And they'd be flocking to, to actually find out how. And so Israel would become a light to the nations. And everybody would then come back to God because of the light that the people of God were shining in Canaan. That's, that, what, what, what an amazing proposition that must have sounded as, as time want, went on. But in order to experience all that, in order for them to be the people of God living that kind of way, as I mentioned earlier, God's people had to learn 
to put their trust in him and believe in him and get to know him intimately and deeply so that they were ready to obey his word and follow his teaching and be guided by him, even when sometimes that didn't make sense at all. Like, for instance, the Battle of Jericho. How are you going to overcome a nation, a, a, a city, a fortified city full of hostile people, and you, all you do is walk around it seven times in silence? What? That doesn't make sense at all, but that's what happened, isn't it? And they overcame it. So, so, that, so often God is going to call his people to do stuff that actually seems nonsense from a human point of view okay so there they are the people of israel and they they are being taken through the wilderness to try and stretch them and so in the in the wilderness god is using that to encourage them to believe deeply in him and to trust in his amazing power and protection and provision against all the odds so let's continue in that passage uh it says here Right, so it says, they were, our ancestors were all under the cloud and they were all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And that's a reference to the way that in coming out of the, the, uh, Egypt, God, God did this amazing <laughs> miracle of parting the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds and so that the, wa the water was pushed to the side and the Egyptian army was hard on their heels, but they walked across this, this, this river or the sea as on dry land. And God did all that. And when they got to the other side and the Egyptian army were following, the waters closed on and they were dried and they were seen no more. And that was all done by God. The, the Egyptian, the Israelites didn't fight at all. And then it talked about the cloud and then God wanted to guide them when to move and when not to move, where to move and where not to move. And so uh, in, in the camp, there was this big, huge pillar of cloud that was there all the time. And the daytime, it was just an ordinary cloud. At night, somehow it glowed like fire. And, and, and when that, that cloud moved on, they moved on. When it stopped, they stopped. And so God was providing this amazing supernatural guidance to encourage his people all the way through, that God was going to be providing for them, guiding them, and so on. So that was a wonderful thing. Um, but, and also the next bit, it says, they all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, and they all drank from the Spain spiritual rock that the company and that rock was Christ. So again, this wonderful supernatural provision that God gives it somehow manna bread like like coriander seed lying on the on the desert ground. They picked up and they could make it into some kind of bread, and uh, that was provided every single day for them. And even though they got a bit fed up with that, wanted more, God allowed a, a flock of quails to come and just get tired and land in the camp and on a regular basis so they had plenty of meat as well just randomly there's lands in the middle of their camp and they're too tired to run away so they pick up these quails you know it's amazing and then other times when they were thirsty and didn't have any water in the desert naturally god opens a rock for them and water comes out and provides for them again in a remarkable way. And the rock was Christ, was kind of a lovely way of, of actually, of a reference back to the idea that Jesus, long before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he was there right in the midst of it all, and he was there sorting it all out for his people. So this is a, a wonderful uh, 
st statement about uh, God's encouragement to his people, saying, look, it's going to be difficult later on, guys, but look, this is the kind of God I am. I can do all this stuff, so don't worry. You're going to be okay. But he deliberately didn't make it too easy. He didn't give it to them on, on a plate. He actually kind of like spun out a bit and tested them to help them to grow deeper in their faith and trust in him, stretching, if you like, their faith muscles to trust in him. So they say, wow, it was difficult, but look, God's done all this stuff. So next time it looks like disaster, we're going to trust and believe that it's going to be okay. So that was the plan. They would grow through this process to really trust God. And they would get to know more that, you know, our God is faithful. Look, he's done all this stuff. Let's not doubt. Let's not fear. Let's not worry. Let's not be anxious. Let's not sweat. Because God is faithful. Look, he's done all this stuff. He'll, he'll do it again. But, so Paul says, he goes on to say, but nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered ill in the wilderness. Why was he displeased with them? Because despite of all the encouragement, all the demonstration of his amazing power, and indeed the fact that, that Canaan was, was, was this, going to be this land of abundance and fertility, God's people gave in to their doubts and fears and believed that God's plan was impossible. It's just too difficult. It's just too difficult. We can't do this. So they ended up grumbling to God, complaining that his ways were too hard, and they were drawn back to the old ways. Let's just go back to old ways, guys, where everything seemed to be at least more predictable and they felt they had more control. Of course they didn't, but they just felt it that way. And so in the, the next bit, it talks about what they did. Hold on. I haven't, no, I've missed that bit out. Never mind. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it says how... Uh, oh, I have got a Bible on. Can I have a gun about your Bible? So I can... uh, yeah, so it says here... Um, yeah. Do not, be a, do, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 20, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, etc. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So what we can see here is they went back to, to their old ways. They went back to worshipping idols, in other words, gods like the golden calf that didn't seem to be so demanding as Jehovah God was. Uh, they went back to trying to find happiness in, in instant gratification of eating and drinking, unbridled physical pleasures, including sex. And they, they thought that instant gratification would be what would make them happy. And the, the big, big problem was they felt they had been lured into the desert under false pretenses. Life was much too hard. They didn't sign up for this. So they wanted out. And all that God wanted was they should believe and trust in him. He wanted them to grow in relationship with him. 
But they didn't understand how wonderful that would be. They didn't understand at all. So Paul is writing to a church which is about to go a similar kind of way. Big and strong, powerful church, but beginning to drift away from God. And maybe feeling life is too hard. So what he then says, he calls, he gives them a fantastic promise. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now that, that's an amazing, amazing promise. Because it speaks about how God really knows you and me intimately and personally. Psalm 139 says that God made us in our mother's womb and every single day of our life was known before any of them began. So this day, what is it, the 20th of March 2022, we're all sitting here in church and God, before you were born, God knew all about today. And what's going to happen after church? What's going to happen this afternoon? What's going to make your lunch is going to be burnt? Whatever it might be. He knows all about that. But also, he knows how much you can take and how much you can't. What, what, you, what you will overwhelm you. And so, it's, what he's saying here is that before anything happens to you, it is vetted. Nothing can happen to you that isn't part of God's plan for your life where he can work all things together for your good. And he will never allow anything to happen to you that will be too much, that will overwhelm you. And even though it may seem that way, there will always be a little door on the side somewhere over here. And you find a way through, a way of escape so you can overcome. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God knows you that well and has made that promise so that we can, we can look at the future without fear? Nothing is going to overwhelm me because God is my God and he's going to vet everything that happens my way. And he is faithful. And how do we know he's faithful? Because we look to the cross. And we see Jesus dying for us upon that cross. Greater love has no man than this, and he should lay down his life for his friends. So we can be absolutely assured of God's love for us because, and his faithfulness because he died for us on that cross for you and for me. And as we trust in God more and more, if we believe that, if we believe that, then we're set free to believe all the rest of the stuff and actually say, do you know what? I am going to go for this abundant life. And as, as we as God's people individually step out into the promise of God and as we step out in faith and we say, I can do this, Lord. I've got this. You're there for me. Then we grow, obviously, in a friendship with God and we get to know him better and better and life becomes more of an adventure and more exciting. But then also God uses us as we step out in faith and believe that God will provide, just like, you know, like Dave and Vicky did with Sonia. And, and we can do amazing stuff because we're not held back by human expectations anymore. We can do amazing stuff with God and for God. And then together, wow, 
The sky's the limit. Because together, as a church, we can do amazing stuff for God and model this community life where we learn to love each other and trust in God and share and look after each other and care for each other. And we don't need to go down this me, 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 me first because God's got that covered. Now that's a dream, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture, but it's not, it's not just a kind of a make-believe dream. It's what the scripture teaches us is the normal Christian life as we put our trust in God. And maybe once upon a time we believed that, but maybe we've held back because we've been burnt a few times. But I'm just wanting to encourage you, to appeal to you today, if that's where you've been and maybe you're holding back from God, let each of us trust God again and believe that amazing promise that God is faithful and will never let us be overwhelmed and therefore we can open our hearts and open our lives and open our homes and open our wallets to God because with him, with us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. So Lord, we thank you for this word in scripture from Isaiah and from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we thank you, Lord, for the way your word speaks today to our hearts, a prophetic voice. And we pray, Lord, that the words you spoke thousands of years ago may come alive to us today and we might hear your voice beckoning us and calling us and encouraging us to find life in you. And we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.